God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 7. We're looking at verses 24 through 30 this morning. 24 through 30. Her faith was undeterred. You know, the rarity of a true believer is something the world doesn't see very often. And even when they see it, they want to ridicule it. They want to put it down. Someone who truly believes something, whatever it may be. Well, let me tell you, friends, when we, believers in Jesus Christ, hold to the inerrant word of God, the, the holy word of God, the divinely inspired word of God, and we hold to the fact that Jesus Christ, a man, was raised from the dead, we're true believers. And the world needs to hear our message and see our faith. And so this morning, we're going to see her faith. Let's read this passage together. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Kind of a familiar story to most of us, but we'll talk about it. He got up, being Jesus, and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the little children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back home to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Let's pray. Father, I love this story because it is such a display of undeterred faith, the kind of faith that only you can give. We see how you gave it to her. We know that you've given it to us. Help us to learn how to embrace it and, ex and express it and exhibit it more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so Jesus is now roaming into Gentile regions of the area. Gentile regions being regions that are primarily of someone who's not a Jew. That's what Gentile means. So it basically means everybody else and all of you in here are Gentiles. If you didn't know that, we can talk about it later. Anyway, it's a, it, he's moving into an area northwest of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, Galilee region, into the region of Tyre. It's a Roman province still. It's held in full control by the Roman Empire, but it doesn't have Herod. It doesn't have Pontius Pilate. It doesn't have a bunch of people looking for Jesus. And so it's kind of a, an attempt to avoid attention right now, to avoid the attention of Herod and the Pharisees. And he's going to do, in this area, he's going to show his disciples some wonderful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it can even change pagans. So Jesus is cornered here by a Gentile mother whose faith cannot be inhibited by anything, no matter what happens. And so for us this morning, we want to remember that Jesus came to save the lost, no matter where or who they are. Jesus came to save the lost. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. And faith in him unfettered, unhindered, is what we see this morning. So how does this uninhibited faith find Jesus as the Savior? Well, there are kind of two parts to this faith in Jesus, and this woman found both of them and displayed both of them. First, she saw that she had a need to believe. She knew whom to trust. Verses 24 through 26. Let me read those again for you. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. <clears throat> so Jesus travels to this region, like I said, along the Mediterranean coast, really, and he's trying to be a little bit obscure, just not noticed and not followed by the crowd, but he can't. <laughs> People know him. People recognize him. People have heard about him. If you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it talks about the fact that there were people from all over these Gentile regions that were following Jesus and listening to Jesus and hearing about Jesus. Jesus was popular. Jesus was known. And Jesus was sought after. You know, wise people still seek him, not just the three wise men. So the, this woman, this mom, immediately finds him. I mean, she immediately identified where he was, went into the house because she had a need that nothing else could solve. She had a need that she knew only Jesus could. She corners Jesus in this house. She will not be denied. She will not be denied an audience with Jesus. She's not a Jewish woman. That's one mark against her in the Jews' eyes. She's a Gentile, a Syrophoenician, a Canaanite, which, if you remember your Old Testament, that's who the children of Israel drove out of the Promised Land, were Canaanites. She was a Canaanite by birth. She, this is important. She came from a pagan religious background. Sometimes we think today that we've got all these religions in the world and how awful some of them are. Pagan religion in the Old Testament and the New Testament even was terrible. But she, you need to understand her heritage. She was ethnically separated from the Jews. She was ethnically separated from Yahweh. She had no basis for even claiming to know God or especially Jesus. She was an outcast in Jew eyes. She was someone who was outside the Abraham covenant. She was outside that. She was a Gentile by her birth and also by her religion. She was outside Abraham's covenant. Her religion is based on idols, completely, 100% idols. Idols, rituals, superstitions that deny God Almighty. All the religions of the Canaanites, all the other religions in the world, all are here to deny God Almighty, his presence, his blessings. You know, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 that Satan is really the God of the idols that people worship. And that's exactly what Satan would love for people to do, worship an idol. Chase that piece of stone or wood or gold. As you saw in the film, a guy making a statue for, for Buddha worship. Satan would love that. And that's what these pagans had done. And Mark paints, 
paints right here a very stark picture of how desperate she was now. Her desperation as she runs to Jesus. She's lost all hope in those idols. Praise God. She's lost all hope. And so she, she has a prayer. She, hear her prayer right here. She has a prayer. She's praying to Jesus that her demon-tormented daughter would be healed. Because she's suffering. But she's praying to Jesus. And Jesus, she comes to Jesus as a last resort. Now, we sometimes think, well, you should come to Jesus earlier. Not if you don't know any better. At least she came to Jesus. That's always a glorious truth. So it's better than never coming to Jesus. But she comes to him as a last resort, but she comes with a determined faith, a determined prayer for him to deliver her child. She comes. She falls down. As Matthew talks about in Matthew 15, she bows down. She gets on the ground in front of Jesus Christ, acknowledging the fact that she doesn't really deserve anything. She comes humbly submitting to Jesus' authority, his position. She's got no pride. She's got no self-reliance left. She just wants her daughter healed. And she believes that Jesus can do it. She left behind all that past pagan religiosity, all the failed ceremonies that she's tried. And there are some pretty wild ceremonies for healing out there in the pagan religions. And she approached Jesus with faith, supernatural faith. This faith didn't just pop into her head on her own accord. This came from God. And she only had one request and believed that Jesus is the only one that could answer it. And there was no one else she was going to trust with this problem anymore. She knows who to trust. Her faith is undeterred because of the object of her faith, not her ability to believe. It's not what she believed. It's not how she got there. It's who she's believing in. That is an undeterred faith. I remember a time in my life when one of my daughters was in a pretty rebellious state, very rebellious and going in the wrong direction as fast as she could go. And there was a point where dad could no longer say anything. He could no longer provide correction, at least not into her heart and her mind. I could obviously restrain her at home. She was a teenager. But I knew that the only thing I could do was pray. Pray that her rebellion would stop. And I did. I prayed all the time. I prayed relentlessly. I prayed on the way to work. I prayed on the way home from work. I prayed all the time. And praise God, he heard. And I can feel what this mother probably feels when she gets to the end of this story. That Jesus heard. See, the disciples even knew this after Pentecost. They knew who had the ability. Peter and John are coming into the temple and there's a beggar there. And he's been there for years begging for help. And Peter says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. They knew it. This mom had found this faith too. She found that Jesus Christ was the only solution for her daughter. I want you to see in this story the earnestness of her heart. 
the earnestness of her faith and her prayer. She shows who we must trust. And there's three points here for us to look at in terms of how she prayed and how she approached Jesus. First of all, her heart was changed. She recanted all of her pagan background. Now, this is, this is not something easy to do because their gods, as you read about Paul walking through Athens, Greece, their gods were everywhere. Pagan idols were everywhere. She has recanted all of that. Her heart has changed, and she knows where she's got to go for spiritual health. The second thing is that her faith in Jesus created an attitude of humility. She didn't come demanding that Jesus heal her daughter. She didn't come just like, submitting a request or just trying to argue God, Jesus into it. She came in humility. Her heart said, get on your knees. Her heart said, bow down. And she falls on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then her prayer. Her prayer to Jesus was for eternal help. And it testifies that, like we should testify, to total submission and surrender to his divine will. She knew Jesus could heal him, but she didn't know if he would heal her. See, that's the thing. Our prayers of faith always have to allow for divine will. There's no name it and claim it, nab it and grab it, and all this other stuff. You have to believe that Jesus' will is the best. So on a personal note for us to apply this this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, does your faith pray like this? Does your faith pray like this? Is your heart convinced to approach Jesus with this kind of undeterred faith? If it's not, why not? When was the last time you fell before Jesus with spiritual needs like this woman? Every aspect of life that we live is meant to make us submissive to Christ. It's meant to bring us deeper in faith in Jesus Christ. And we do that a lot of times by prayer because there's not, there's sometimes there's nothing else we can do, like I found out with my daughter. Now, as a church, if we want to see change and salvation flow to our community, flow to the world, we need to pray like this. We must pray with hearts convinced that only Jesus can bring this, that we can't come up with some magic formula to make it happen, that only Jesus and his Holy Spirit can make this happen. See, the Jews wouldn't think her worthy of their God. The Jews would have said, don't talk to this woman. She's got nothing for us. We, she's not allowed in our temple. She's not allowed in our synagogues. They thought her incapable of accepting God and believing him. Are there people that we think can't be changed by God? I hope not. I really hope not. Nobody is outside the grace of God. Nobody. No matter how bad we may think they are. We need to give people room to move from their terrible lifestyles, the terrible choices they've made. We need to give them room for them to grow into their faith. Yeah, it's going to be hard and sometimes uncomfortable, but that's what Jesus is doing to this woman right now. She didn't have any set prayer. She just came and fell and said, help me. We need to let people have room to grow in their faith. God sent his son not to condemn the world. That's John 3.17. Most of the time we are all quoting John 3.16. Read John 3.17. Learn it. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. 
Jesus says, I came to die as a ransom for many, which also means any. Jesus came for anybody that would have faith in him. So I charge us all this morning, let's start trusting Jesus with the salvation of unbelievers and the revival of believers' hearts. And we need to let it start right here, okay? This woman's faith was unfettered. She knew who to trust. I sometimes wonder if we do. She knew Jesus was the only way to spiritual safety. And now she gets a chance to show that faith in a very, very powerful way. And this is the second part of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. She knew how to trust Jesus. Look at verses 27 through 30. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said to her, let the children's be fed, children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back home to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Amazing. Okay, so I know most of you are going, did Jesus really say that? That is not the response we expected from Jesus when she's pleading with unfettered, uninhibited, undeterred faith. We didn't expect Jesus to say what he said right there. Let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now I want you to look at this from a holistic point, okay? You look at two, there's two points. First of all, from the end of the story, it is obvious from the end result that Jesus viewed her prayer as having faith in him. He wasn't questioning that at all, obviously, by the result. Verse 30. And the second thing we need to realize is that her counter, her counter argument to Jesus' response shows the fact that she understood his meaning and her place. She humbly understood that. So now, did Jesus really call her a dog? I mean, that's what everybody wants to know. There are, there are, are a dozen articles, blogs, podcasts, short videos about this passage. And the answer is yes and no. Don't you love that? The answer is yes and no. Yes, it was a term. It was an idiom of the day. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. But it was an idiom that they used to refer to those outside the Abraham covenant. And it wasn't meant as, it, it, well, it was used sometimes derogatorily. I mean, people were just, you know, mean. But it was also used to categorize. You know, we do it by denominations today. We say things like that. But it was not meant as a demeaning thing initially. I'm sure it grew to that. It meant a Gentile. It meant a non-Jew. It meant someone who was outside the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. So yes, in a sense, Jesus is using that phraseology, and I'll explain why in a minute. But he is also not calling her a dog in the way we think about it, because Jesus was not equating her to canines, okay? He was not trying to tell everybody she's of a dog species, or that she's even a lesser human than anybody else. So he's not calling her a dog in those senses of the things. See, God's promise of salvation in the Old Testament always specifies to the Jew first 
and then the Gentile. It always specifies that. Paul supports that in Romans as well. Salvation in the Old Testament comes from the Jews and to the Jews first. And then it comes to the Gentiles. I mean, that's why Jesus uses that, the, the word first in here. Let the children be fed first. Meaning, the dogs are going to get fed, but let the children be fed first. It's not right to take their food away and throw it to the dogs. The dogs will get fed. And that's the way the Old Testament has structured it. His ministry was to the Jew first. That's Jesus' ministry. It had an order. The kingdom of God had an order in which it was going to minister, and Jesus was carrying out that mission. But see, Jesus does two things with his response. He communicates two things that we need to understand here this morning. First of all, he's showing all the others that are in the room, in the house, and they hear the story later, that even Gentiles can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Even Gentiles can have uninhibited faith in the Messiah. They're part of God's kingdom too. So he uses that phrase to set up what's going to happen and to show what she really believes. The second thing that he does with this, the other point he communicates is that he's testing her faith. He's testing her faith. He's testing her assurance with how she's going to respond to this truth he's given her, that the Gentiles come after the Jews in terms of salvation. He's testing her faith. And her response accepts her exclusion. Matter of fact, you look at her response, she gladly accepts that she's outside the covenant of Abraham. She accepts her exclusion from the Jewish covenant, but, <laughs> but she knows a little bit of Jesus can still save you. Right? A little bit of Jesus is all it takes because he's infinitely big, and a little bit is enough. So Jesus is not convinced. His mind's not changed, believe it or not. I want you to understand that Jesus had every intention of healing this little girl even before he said what he said. He had already planned to heal her. What he's doing is he's putting her faith on display. He's showing the world what her faith... See, he wasn't putting up barriers. He was building a platform, a frame, a portrait to hang her faith on the wall so the whole world could see that it didn't deter her at all. Her faith was completely unfettered. When he spoke of healing... She knew she could trust him. And that's how we know she had the faith and how to trust. She, she's, she's separated from the girl. She's not there. Jesus isn't in the, her house. We don't know how far away she was from her home. But when Jesus said, your daughter's healed, she didn't quibble. She didn't argue. She didn't ask for a sign. She didn't ask Jesus to come with her to, to make sure. She turned around at Jesus' words and went home. See, grace gave her hope, infinite hope. And Jesus re rewards her little mustard seed of faith with a mountain of a miracle from a long way off, from a distance. This is the only account in Mark of Jesus healing someone from a distance. Everything is done up close and personal. The lesson here for us this morning, when we read this passage, the lesson is not Jesus' response. Okay, don't get, don't get stuck on that dog thing, okay? That's not the lesson. The lesson here for us is her faith and his miracle. That's the lesson. The whole story has to be read in its entirety to understand that Jesus had every intention of healing her, 
daughter. And that she knew she had, when he had spoken, she knew. She didn't have to have a sign. She went home. Her faith trusted his answer without a doubt. That's how to trust. I don't know if any of you have ever been an acrobat or walked a tightrope or done anything with someone where you have to trust someone else for your safety and maybe even your life. But trust never lets circumstances or environments or opinions hamper you acting on your faith. Tightrope walkers don't worry about how much distance is between them and the ground. They just worry about stepping on that tightrope. They keep their eyes on what they were trusting in. And acrobats do the same thing. They don't care how high above the, the circus tent floor they are. They're looking for the person that's going to catch them when they're flipping through the air. We need to look at Jesus that way. Jesus never fails. Never. No matter COVID, no matter flu, no matter whatever is going on, Jesus never fails. Paul told Timothy this, and this needs to be our prayer too, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul knew it. He knew how to trust. This mother knew her position as an outsider, and she accepted it. But she also believed Jesus would and could help. Her faith didn't slow down at all. So when your plans and your hopes and your dreams don't come to fruition like you hoped, do you let your faith waver? Do you wonder, well, why am I even believing in God? When challenges to your idea of what you think Christianity should be come, does your assurance in your salvation fade a little bit? When your pride, your position, or your feelings get harmed, do you accept it with faith in God's hand? Like I've said it before, everything in our life is meant to strengthen and to display our faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other reason why Jesus would leave us here after saving our soul instead of taking us on to paradise unless it is to display our faith in Jesus Christ and bring glory to God while we do so. I want you to see the expressions of her faith in this thing, okay? She accepted, one, that Jesus is of Jesus' divine position. She knew he was God-man. She knew somehow. She knew he was able to heal her daughter and that he had the divine power to do it. She accepted that readily. The second thing is she accepted her place in his kingdom. Someone on the outside, initially. <laughs> and then the third thing, she accepted his few words of hope. She had not gone to Jewish catechism class. She had not gone to seminary to understand who Jesus was. She only had a few words from Jesus. Your daughter is healed. She accepted those. You know, we want proof a lot of times. We want evidence. We want a sign that we're doing what's right or that God is real or that Jesus is who he says he is. She had faith in things not yet seen. How do you keep trusting in Jesus? How do you keep trusting in Jesus? Well, first of all, you pray. You pray with the earnestness of this woman and the diligence that she has. You pray constantly 
We sometimes leave prayer as a last resort. It should be the first resort, the second resort, the third resort, and all the way through the very end. Pray. And then read his word. I say this often, read his word, but read it with eyes to apply it, to obey it, to follow it, to trust it, and to tell the world about it. Read that book. I encourage you to get a, a, a one-year or two-year or three-year reading plan. I found, figured it out the other day. If you read one chapter a day, it'll take you three years and three months to read through the Bible. Great. Read your Bible. Read your Bible with eyes to apply it to your heart and obey it and to tell the world. And then trust. And this is probably the hardest thing for us. Trust what you've read. Trust what you've prayed. Trust that Jesus has heard that prayer. Trust his heart with your soul. No matter what kind of persecution, no matter what kind of trial, no, what, no matter what kind of tribulation, challenges come, trust him. We have to trust him. We have to trust him. She knew how to trust. You can learn how to trust based on what she did right here. Pray, read, and trust. Like I said, she had no background, she had no training, she had no idea what Judaism really was. She only knew what she had heard, and she had heard, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We need to trust that alone. And when you trust that alone, it will change your heart. It will. And you'll have faith that can move the mountains that Jesus wants you to move. Have you let your faith get deterred lately? Has your faith been a little bit inhibited and held back and tied down a little bit? It happens. <laughs> but it, it, it's never permanent. That's why we have grace. Oh, grace. I'm glad we got grace. It doesn't have to stay that way. Grace gives us another chance to try again. When we confess, when we repent, and we move forward, grace is there to help us do that.